And please find in your Bibles 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Joe, you're going to love being a grandpa. My uh, dad used to always say, if I knew grandkids were that much fun, I would have had them first. So. <laughs> You'll enjoy it. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book uh, back in the last century titled, How Shall We Then Live? I decided to borrow most of his title for today's sermon, and it's titled, How Shall We Then Give? Can somebody help me out? When was the last time we had a sermon on giving here? Do you remember? 1993, you think that was? I, I could, well, now, Pastor Caleb did uh, preach last week on uh, uh, Cain and Abel's offering, but yeah, I couldn't think of. Pa Once a year, Pastor Bill would do that. You know, there are more Bible verses that deal with finances and giving than deal with the topic of love. So once a year is, is not over the top. Um, I'm just kind of taking away that, uh, hey, people preach about money here all the time. That, that's not what we do. But with uh, Pastor Tim out of town and me being able to pick any topic that I wanted to, I just thought, this is, this is something good for us to get a, a good grasp on in terms of uh, our giving. It's a topic that's kind of fraught with, you know, emotional pitfalls and people have different ideas and things like that. But, but I'm glad that we can look at the scripture today. Um, I think I'm kind of uniquely fitted to preach on this for several reasons. Uh, one, I'm not saying this on behalf of the board or anything else other than being a member of the church, but we don't need your money. And God doesn't need your money, and the church is doing just fine, and it was here before you got here, and if God so desires, it'll be here after you got here. So nothing I'm going to say today has anything to do about money we need. We don't need that. I'm not on staff at the church. I don't draw a salary. I have no motivation to get in your back pocket whatsoever. I'm not even on a committee, I'm not on the board, I don't have a financial agenda that I would like to see the church do X, Y, or Z. My whole motivation today is to get you to take a look at God's Word and then use that as a mirror and take a look at your own giving. And I think one of the reasons why giving is a little bit of a, a touchy subject for, for people is because you can quantify it. I mean, you can get a thing at the end of the year that says this is, this is what you gave or whatever. It, it's, it's quantifiable. Whereas you say, well, am I loving my neighbor as myself? I can kind of fudge on that however I want. But our giving is what our giving is. And the scripture has a lot to, um, to say about that. So did you find 2 Corinthians chapter 9? I don't know what page it's on in the Pew Bible. If you're following along on your phone app, it's on page 1. I always wanted to say that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 6 to 8 in detail. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your bountiful provision to us. Help us by your Holy Spirit as we look into your word today to see um, your desires for us. And may our desires for you be expressed in, in our giving and in all of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you have some notes. I do very blank notes. How shall we then give? We shall give. And there's a spot there. There's actually about eight things you could fill in there if you want to today as you're going along on the notes. One of the things is not, we shall give in order to attain an entrance into heaven. What I'm talking about today is for believers. People have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Our giving is a portion of our stewardship, how we handle those things that God has entrusted us with. It, it doesn't have a connection to somehow earning or meriting a standing before God so that we can buy our way into heaven. We know that salvation is only available by God's grace. That we are undeserving sinners. There's nothing we could bring to God that would make up for our sin. And so he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And if we but put our faith and trust in him, that we will have eternal life. So, so when you think about giving, it's not a matter of eternal life. When you think about giving, it is a matter of stewardship, how we handle those things that God has entrusted us with. The gospel is a whole separate issue over here, okay? So... Um, Last week, when Pastor Caleb was dealing with um, Cain and Abel's offering, he did say something that really stuck with me because, of course, I had been preparing several weeks for this message. And I want to quote Pastor Caleb here just to kind of get your juices flowing as you start to think about giving. He said this, There are many examples in the Bible of people bringing offerings to God. And the reason people bring offerings to God throughout the Bible is to acknowledge that everything belongs to God and to thank him for providing for them. The action of bringing an offering is not to provide the Lord with something that he needs. God did not need the food, um, excuse me, the food Cain and Abel brought to him to survive. Instead, the action of bringing an offering was to acknowledge that what they had belonged to God and that the things they had are given to them by God. An offering is an external reflection of what's inside a person. It is a way of saying that everything I have belongs to you, God, and without you I would have nothing. A year or so ago when um, they had another type of retreat and I filled in uh, for Pastor Tim at that time, we, I preached a message on uh, the, the biblical question, 
what do you have that you have not received? I wouldn't expect you to remember that. I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but it was what do you have that you have not received? And the Bible asked that question. And I thought this question, since everything we have has been given to us from God and all the resources to attain more and all of the strength to work and to provide is all coming from God, then it's a very logical question to ask, how shall we then give in response to that? As we get to um, verses six to eight here, we join a conversation that's already in, in process. The believers in Jerusalem are under persecution, um, they're experiencing need there, and the Corinthians had a desire to help with that need. That's expressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And the Corinthians were even cited as an example of uh, giving to this need to other churches. When we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul is arranging uh, that promised gift. He's making arrangements to transport that gift to Jerusalem and to receive that gift on behalf of the saints that are in need at Jerusalem. And it's in that context that he gives us some good principles about giving. As I said, I think there are about eight of them that we will look at if we have enough time. If not, we'll just cut it off someplace and come back to it another day. But I think the key to this section of scripture is found in verse 7. It says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The idea that each one must decide in his heart, he must give as he has decided in his heart, is key to this passage. It's, it's key to understanding it. But what does he mean everyone should give as they've decided in their heart? Is this just kind of up in the air? Is it the time of the judges again? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That really wasn't a good thing that happened in the time of the judges. Is he saying just do whatever you want? No, he's saying something very different. The verse doesn't address how much we give. It addresses our preparation for giving. This sermon, hopefully, is preparation for your future giving. How do you decide what your future giving will be? And when he says he is to give, how? As he has decided. That is a statement of premeditation. If you watch a courtroom drama on TV or something, you may hear the guy argue, this is premeditated murder or something bad that happened. It was with malice of what? Forethought. There was thought that went in ahead of time, and therefore they have to prove that that took place. Would that be proven in our given that there was, well, it wouldn't be malice of forethought, but there was thankfulness and forethought in our giving? Or do we just kind of willy-nilly give? He is saying with this word decided that we are to have 
premeditated giving. The, the first point is, we shall give thoughtfully. We shall give thoughtfully. We should think in advance about our giving. He says, as he has decided in his heart, that's not like, a, okay, just kind of an emotional thing that's going on there. In the Bible, the heart or sometimes the bowels are referred to as the seat of the intellect, emotion, and the will. When he says we're to give as we've decided in our heart, it is to be a settled thing. It's something that required the forethought, the premeditation, the deciding in advance what we're going to do. He, basically, he writes this letter. He doesn't show up and make a big appeal to the Corinthians. Come on, give today! They are to prepare in advance. And uh, some of the negatives that he uses later shows that. But the word he uses for decides is key to understanding this passage. Um, the Greek word would be pronounced something to the effect of pro-orizo, pro first or beforehand, and to think. Where is this word used elsewhere? What ideas might we get if we look elsewhere in Scripture at this particular word? I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Same word, to decide. What he has decided in his heart, same word is used over in Ephesians chapter 1, and it's found at verse 5. And it says this, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of his will. Which word do you think is the pro or zoo? Predestined. See, that's the other reason why I'm the perfect guy to preach on this, because you can't fire me. So I can preach on giving and predestination in the same sermon and not get in trouble. It's predestined. So, whatever all of that means in Ephesians chapter 1, it means that God had forethought and purpose in what he was doing. And when it comes to our giving, Paul is saying our giving should be predestined. We should think it through beforehand. If you want it in your notes, you can jot down Romans 8.30. You're going to find that Paul, same author, same Holy Spirit, same Word of God, says we are predestined. Elsewhere, this same word is translated predestined. We are to be thoughtful givers. We are to be thinking about our giving in advance. He not only gives us the positive that we think about our giving ahead of time, but he also gives us the negatives that are to be avoided. We are to not give reluctantly, that is, unhappily, or that which would cause regret. We are to not give, it says in verse 7, under compulsion, that is, obligation. I'm not here to compel your giving. If I were, we would have postponed the offering, I would have gave an emotional appeal today and we'd have passed those plates out there. No, he's saying 
Think about it. Purpose it in your heart. In advance, be a thoughtful giver, not an emotional responder. You see this, you know, I mean, they put the little puppy on TV chained up out there, or they put the kids from the Shriners Hospital. And I'm not saying any of these are bad things to give to, but the appeals are emotional, emotional, emotional. God's saying, settle this in your heart and know ahead of time what you're going to give, not an emotion-filled appeal. I was at a um, dinner one evening uh, for a Christian organization, good organization and everything. Um, and the guy got up at the point where they were going to receive the donations for this organization. And he said, maybe God wants you to do more than you thought today. Okay, challenge us. I get that. He says, maybe you have a number in mind. Maybe God wants you to put another zero behind that number. <laughs> Just a zero. Just put another zero behind that number. And of course, he was saying, if you plan to give $100, maybe you should be given 1000 If you were planning on giving 1000 maybe you should be given 10000 And okay, let's take the offering. How am I supposed to respond to that? I'll tell you the truth. You know, I was a salesman for years. Kind of the way he closed the deal kind of appealed to my flesh. I kind of went, ooh, that's kind of cool, you know. Get another zero on there or something. That's not the biblical idea. The biblical idea is not to put you under pressure to give, not that you would give under compulsion, not that you would be compelled to give. <sighs> Giving is joyous when we get this whole perspective. And we think about what God has done in advance, and we think about God's provision in advance and we're thoughtful in our giving. I think this is the most important point we're going to have today, so if you can't stick it with me any further than this, be thoughtful, because if you're thoughtful and you're premeditated in your giving, you'll go search out these other things and come to a, a conviction on these things. I, I think it's the most important part. I think it's more important it's more significant to the argument of 2 Corinthians 9 than is the cheerful giver. I know the heading in your Bible probably says, the cheerful giver. I, that's not inspired by God. That's just some guy's heading that he put in there, right? I would cross that out and put the thoughtful giver. Uh, point two, nonetheless, we are to be cheerful givers. Um, I think the way we become cheerful givers is that we have thought it through and we're not doing it uh, unhappily or we're not doing it under compulsion and God loves a cheerful giver. We're to think about it for because God loves a cheerful giver. So I think thinking about it leads to cheerfulness in your, in your giving would be the flow of the argument. Nonetheless, we are to be cheerful givers. I like this. The word cheerful in the Greek is hilaros. Sound familiar? Hilarious. We are to be hilarious givers. The world says, give until it hurts. God says, give until you giggle. 
okay? It should be hilarious. It should be joyful. When we get to the right point on our giving, we're not going, oh, let's see here, where is the decimal point? What am I going to do? We're grateful, cheerful, hilarious givers. Give thoughtfully, give cheerfully. Point three, give a lot. Did I just say give a lot? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul said here. I know, if I had to use the word give generously or give bountifully, that might be a little easier for you, but he's saying give a lot. Look back at uh, verse 6. So the whole thing is flowing along about their gift and so forth as we had, if we had time to go through the whole chapter. And then we would get to verse 6, and it says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully, underline it, will also reap bountifully. What's he talking about? If we took it completely out of its context, Charlie, what would you think? If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. What would it tell you about your cornfield? Sparingly would be a sparing crop, right? So if you want a big crop, put more seeds out there. Isn't that the, the way it works in the garden? In the spring, I get very excited about our garden. I get going, and so we had all these tomato plants. Pastor Tim preached a message, and he told us to, to care for and subdue the earth. So I went out to Menards, and I bought a bunch of tomato plants, and I took a picture of them and sent it back to subduing the earth, Pastor Tim. Just wanted him to know I was applying the sermon. And Ruth said, you have too many tomato plants. And I gave a couple to mom, and she planted some, and we still had way too many tomato plants. The more tomato plants you plant, the more tomatoes you get. It works with zucchini, too. <laughs> you do not have to tithe on your zucchini. You can keep it. It's all, it's all good. Just do what you want with that. You put more zucchini seeds in the ground, you end up with what? more zucchini. The more you plant, the more you get. I understand farmers, there's a diminishing return. You can put too much seed in it, start to crowd it out. But the principle's there, okay? Well, what does that have to do with giving? It has everything to do with giving because it's right in the middle of the section of giving. If we want to understand what he's talking about here, we would look at the context, and the context is giving. And so he's taking a physical principle and he's applying it to our giving and he's saying, the more bountifully you give, the more bountifully you will reap. I don't think he's arguing give for what you will get out of it. But he's saying there's a principle that as you sow more, you're going to reap more. The word bountifully... if you look it up in the Lonida Greek lexicon, is going to be a large amount of something. A lot. Now, in a moment we'll define what a lot is. Okay, relax. I, I know where you're thinking, but what's a lot? We'll, we'll get to that. The idea is definitely generous giving. Why did Paul put that in there if he didn't do so to implore them to thoughtfully be generous in their giving to the believers at Jerusalem. 
There's no other explanation for that section other than give generously. Point four, give expectantly. This is a tricky one. Because you got some guys on TV that are telling you, give me $100, you'll get $1,000, give me $1,000, you'll get $10,000. I'm not talking about name it and claim it. And yet, if there were promises associated with our giving, then we would expect God will fulfill those promises. And therefore, I think it's appropriate to give expectantly. Jump down a little bit to verse 8. So God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That's the righteousness of an individual as quoted from the Psalms, he, his righteous acts of giving to the poor and so forth. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You can't outgive God. That's a cliche, I know it is. Cliches become cliches because they're often repeated. Sometimes things are often repeated because they're true. You cannot outgive God. So you say, give expectantly, Brian. What is it you expect? I, I expect to be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I expect that he supplies seed to the sower and, food and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. What, what, what's seed for sowing? What's the seed in this context? The seed and the sowing is the gift. That's this context. I know you can pull out and go way over here somewhere else where the, the seed is sowing the seed of the Word of God and all that and somehow try and spiritualize this thing. But God is saying, you sow your seeds of giving and He is going to multiply your seeds for future generosity. I know you might part ways with me on here. I'm not naming and claiming it. I'm not give so you can get. Just please explain to me something else that that might read. I know it also says in verse 10, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God bless God gives the gift to the giver in order for him to give, and then he blesses the giver in return. It comes from God, it goes back to God, and God 
makes it overflow back to us. I know it's an Old Testament passage, a specific promise to Israel, but in, in Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 10, God says essentially, hey, go ahead and test me on this. Try me. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse and see if I don't cause, paraphrase, you to prosper. and take care of all of your need. Again, Old Testament promise, too specific, Israel, Old Testament, okay, great. But it's the same God, and in the New Testament, he's saying, as you give, your righteousness will be multiplied and your seed for sowing will be multiplied. God is able to do that, and you cannot outgive God. What are we on? Point four, give expectantly. Well, why are some Christians blessed financially more than others? And um, you know, why were the Jerusalem Christians in need, which became an opportunity for the Corinthian givers to give? And then the Jerusalem believers to praise God for the gift? Why are some people blessed with more and some people with less? I believe with more comes greater responsibility. But why does that happen? <clears throat> I don't know. You may have heard somebody say something like this. Everything God does is perfect and completely wise and the fittest means to accomplish that, that which he has decreed. Have you ever heard that before? Some guy named Tim says that once in a while. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing with our finances. He knows what he's doing with your finances. He knows what, God knows what he's doing in this world. I, uh, I think I can say with the Apostle Paul, I know what it is to be in want, and I know what it is to abound. It, it, we've been through different situations uh, in our life. And I just come out this end of it going, God knows what he's doing, and he's doing it. And we should look for him, to him for the answers. You can't outgive God. Here's another cliche for you. Take care of God's business, and he'll take care of yours. He knows what he's doing. What he has entrusted to you you are responsible as a steward to handle for him. And I'm not talking about that, that this 10% I handle the way God wants me to handle, and this 90% I can do whatever I want. That's not stewardship. We'll spend some time on that another time. But in your giving, give thoughtfully, give cheerfully, give expectantly, give a lot, give generously if you prefer. Point five, give for the glory of God. He continues down here in, <clears throat> in chapter 9 at verse 12. For the ministry of this service, that's the ministry of the service of giving, not only supplies the needs of the saint, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 13. By their approval of this service, 
they will glorify God because your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others. The, we give for the glory of God. Our giving is not about us. It is about God. And think about it. I've often said you, you should be so glad that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and that he has changed my heart. Because if I believed in evolution and I thought we were all just here by accident, then whatever you have, why shouldn't I have it? You're just a little different piece of pond scum than I am a piece of pond scum. And if the survival of the fittest, why shouldn't I be the fittest and just take what you have, right? Logically, that makes sense. But that we, born with a sin nature, selfish individuals would at any point be so concerned as to give to the needs of another is a demonstration of God's working in our life and it's a cause for us to glorify God. I'm sorry if it sounded harsh or uh, arrogant when I said we don't need your money here, but that's a statement about what God has done and is doing here. When I did serve on the board, we didn't sit there and wring our hands, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What's the next appeal now? How are we going to wring a little bit more money? No, I'm not preaching this because you don't give. By and large, most of you probably do and do give generously and have thought it through. But we still need to be taught on this. God is glorified in what he is doing, and that includes your giving, so give for the glory of God. Okay, a couple minutes, really quick here. I want you to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I'm going to give you three quick bullet points. Boom, boom, boom. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul mentions it's the same gift that he's going to end up talking. You know, he's actually getting around to getting the gift in 2 Corinthians, but it's mentioned here in 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 16, I think there are three quick things that we can consider and you can thoughtfully consider going forward on our giving. Now concerning the collection at 16.1, 1 Corinthians 16.1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church in Galatia, so also you are to do. It's kind of a pattern here. He says, I told this church in Galatia to do this, and you are to do this too. And this is not a suggestion by Paul. This is an imperative. That means it's a command. And he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and store, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. This is not a commentary on whether we should take an offering or not. We can get into all that somewhere down the road, whatever. But Paul gave them specific instructions on how they might handle this offering, how they, how they were to handle this offering, the command. And the first thing we see is that they are to give consistently. It says, on the first day of every week, I'll tell you the word every is supplied by your translator, it's literally on the first of the week. Which week? Yeah, I think they supplied every appropriately. It's every week. On the first of every week, each of you is to put something aside. So the first thing we see about our giving is consistency. Now, 
we're going to see in a moment we put aside in keeping with our income. So maybe, again, uh, Charlie, I'll pick on you because you're my brother-in-law and you live up the road, so farmer. You know, there may be times of the year where your income is different than other times of the year. There would be those that would, would have a crop where really their income comes in at this time. Well, you're putting aside this week, maybe what you're putting aside this week is, is nothing because that's in keeping with your income. And when the increase comes, when the profit comes from what you've put in, then you set aside that week in keeping with that amount. We do the same thing, Ruth and I. We, our income right now is, is just um, from our rental properties, so savings and our, our rental properties. Well, we get paid on the first week of the month. So on the first week of the month, we actually, I don't think the methodology is a big deal, but I like this. We have thoughtfully planned ahead and on the first week of each month, a check just comes automatically from our bank over here to the church. I don't know if the treasurer's like that or not. They never sent any back. But uh, it's, it's not that we can do it and not think about it. We have thought about it. And we know that this is when our income comes. And because this is when our income comes, this is when we give uh, on, a, on a monthly basis. You might do that on a weekly basis. You might do that on a bi-weekly basis. But the issue is that we give consistently. Two more. Each of you is to put aside and store it up. What's the principle there? Each of you is to put aside and store it up. He didn't say some of you. And in the Greek, the word is there. It's, it's each of you. He's saying we all have something to give based on God's provision for us. So giving should be universal. It should be consistent. It should be universal. And finally, he says, as he may prosper. As he may prosper. We give as we may prosper. The NIV doesn't try and translate word for word like the ESV does. That's a good word for word translation, as he may prosper. The NIV translates kind of idea for idea. And in doing so, it says this, in keeping with your income. In keeping with your income. The final point is this, we should give proportionately. Proportionately. In keeping with our income, a, a proportion, a percentage, if you will, is, is the way we measure, if you will, our giving. It is in keeping with our, it, our income, as God has caused us to prosper. That's why I said earlier, well, how do we define a lot? It's in proportion, it's not in amount. Um, we... Okay, we don't give the same amount now that we did when I had a larger income. We may give similar proportion, but not the same amount. Um, so am I talking about tithing then? Tithing is giving 10%. I will say this. The New Testament right here says in keeping with our income, so it is... Definitely proportional giving is, at this point, commanded in the New Testament.
Whether or not that means a tithe is something that you're going to have to sort through thoughtfully in advance. And you can go on the internet and you can find people that will argue with my position. I'm going to give you my position right now. You'll find people that want to argue with my position and great, have at it. One of the biggest arguments against tithing today is that tithing was under the law and we are no longer under the law. Okay? True. We're no longer under the law. No question, tithing was under the law. If you add up all the tithes under the law, Leviticus, Exodus, it, it may be closer to 20% than it was to 10%, but it was 10% at a time. Okay, whatever. Is tithing completely then out of bounds for today? Well, doesn't it inform our thought process that tithing was part of the program at one time? And if we're to give proportionately now, wouldn't we at least consider that as a starting point? Add to that Abraham. We're going to get to Abraham in a little bit, probably next year sometime in the book of Genesis, right? When does the law come? I'm almost done. Stick with me a second here. When does the law come? through Moses, you got Exodus, you got Leviticus, you've got the law, right? Mount Sinai. Where's Abraham found again? Oh yeah, that's before the law, isn't it? So we have tithing in Abraham. When we get to chapter 14, Pastor Tim's going to tell us all about who this Melchizedek guy is. Ask him, who is this Melchizedek guy? Where did he come from, Pastor Tim? And Abraham gives tithes to Melchizedek before the law. But Jacob promises the same thing to God. So we have tithing before the law. We have tithing under the law. And then in the New Testament, we have a command to proportionate giving. And Jesus had something to say, final point, on tithing. You can look it up this week. It's Matthew 23. Matthew 23, 23 and following. Excuse me, that doesn't sound right. It's the way it's in my notes, but let me double check. No, no, perfect. So he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe your mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So he's saying, hey, you, you hypocrite guys, you're tithing on your plants in your garden even. But you're ignoring the more important, weightier matters of the law. Okay. But is Jesus opposed to tithing in that time frame? Then he says this. These you ought to have done, oh, excuse me, the, the weightier matters are justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, justice, mercy, faithfulness, you ought to have done, and you should have just forgot about tithing because that's going away anyways, Jesus. Is that what it says there? No, he says, without neglecting the others. 
That's my thumb on the scale for tithing. I think tithing was before the law. I think tithing was under the law. I think tithing was just fine with Jesus. And I think we're told to give proportionately in the New Testament. But you get to decide, and we're not taking the offering right now. You should go home and faithfully, thoughtfully consider what your giving is going to be. And you should sit down together with your spouse, and you should make a plan to give cheerfully and generously. It's a matter between you and God. But I wanted to share with you what God laid on my heart is here in the scripture. It's a joy to return to the Lord a small portion of what already came from him in the beginning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your graciousness, your goodness, the bountiful way that you provide for us for salvation, for our food to eat, our homes to live in, for everything that we need day by day. Father, help us as we go our separate ways, as we consider those things before us today. Help us to be thoughtful and cheerful in our giving. Help us to glorify you more than anything else, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.